people are entitled to good health and safe environments. Increasingly, federal, state, and local partners are seeking ways to improve health access and outcomes for everyone, no matter where they live, who they are, or how much they earn. In this podcast miniseries, apt staff sit down with health leaders from Massachusetts, Minnesota, and the Pueblo de San Alfonso to discuss their ideas on health equity, including challenges, innovative approaches, and next steps for their respective programs and communities. In this episode, apps Kayleen Witter talks to Raymond Martinez of New Mexico's Pueblo de San Alfonso. Hi, Raymond. Hello, Kayleen. So thank you, Raymond, for joining. Um, you're the Lieutenant Governor, and you are also the Director of the um, Department of Environmental and Cultural Preservation. The Pueblo is situated in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, and faces some particular challenges, climate impacts, extreme fire, temperature drought, um, extreme storm events. These are all affecting the Pueblo's resources. And in addition to that, the Pueblo is adjacent to the Los Alamos National Lab. And so there's a history there of contaminant issues that are also concerned. And so what we see happening is an intertwining, in fact, of, of these different con, uh, environmental concerns. So both contaminant and health and climate and health um, sort of all um, intertwined and, and issues and challenges that Raymond and his team need to deal with. And um, we have been working with you for a number of years now on climate and health issues. Um, and I really appreciate your taking the time to just talk about this a little together today. Sure, thank you, uh, happy to be here. People across the country are affected by climate, but um, there are, I think, some issues that disproportionately affect tribes. Um, and, you know, when we think about, for example, tribes are often place-based cultures um, and fixed um, in place by uh, reservation boundaries that have been established through sort of the history of, um, you know, this country and the federal government. Um, just wondering if you might have any thoughts to share in terms of your perspectives on some of the unique aspects of climate change and, and impacts on um, Native American communities and, and the Pueblo in particular. Here at the Pueblo, you know, being I've, I've grown up here all my life, you know, just went away to for, for college and some outside work, but really been been here all my life. And one of the things that I've learned growing up is that how we're tied to the to the natural resources uh, within our reservation and how we use those natural resources in traditional and cultural ways. And, you know, growing up here throughout the years, we see a lot of different changes that, you know, have been attributed to uh, climate change. And um, from that, we see, you know, plant material that we used to gather that is no longer available, resources such as different animal species that are no longer um, present here on our land uh, due to um, vegetation loss, due to habitat loss, due to water loss. Um, we, have, we have learned how to adapt and, you know, even though they are a part of, uh, of our native lives here, we still continue to use those resources, but we find ourselves having to look elsewhere besides our Pueblo reservation to be able to collect those resources and use those resources in order to um, keep practicing our cultural and traditional activities. You know, within the next 50 years, we're not gonna have evergreen forests around in our reservation anymore. You know, they're slowly migrating to higher elevations because of, you know, needing cooler temperatures. Um, 
so those changes we've been hit by wildfires we've been hit by drought we've been hit by um bug infestations that have really you know uh decimated our um our our, our resources um so those are some of the things that that we see and and the work that we've been conducting is how do we you know bring those back or how do we keep what we have right now and also getting to think at that point if these resources do go away what does the pueblo have to do in order to keep its identity tied to certain activities that we do thanks raymond um just as you were talking it made me think so you know there's this notion of the resources and sort of being a, a place-based culture tied to the land and what do you do when those resources disappear from where you live um, which you just addressed very eloquently. It also made me think about, um, you know, other stressors that you, you are facing simultaneously, which may not be, you know, directly climate related, but definitely, you know, feed into climate and is just sort of all piles on, right? So I'm thinking about COVID-19 um, and just the, the, the impacts to the Pueblo of COVID, not just in terms of health, um, but just some of the, the you know, impacts of, of the isolation. Um, and so we have, you know, a culture that is very much, um, you know, founded in, in, in family and group activities. Um, and I know that when COVID hit and part of the, what happened was the lockdown and, and folks being isolated, that that took a real, uh, you know, toll on individuals. And perhaps that was a toll that, you know, might be um, even greater for, um, for Pueblo members where, so much of, of um, those, you know, that the cultural and spiritual health is is intertwined with group activities. Sure, sure, and and yes, um, you know, it, it it has hit our pueblo hard um, within this area. I believe, you know, before the whole COVID um, really took a, a, a hold, we were the last uh, pueblo out of the nineteen pueblos that were actually able to hold the feast day, and after that, you know everything stopped. Um, you know, we use that also as a teaching tool for our young youth. So they've actually missed out on a whole almost two years now of learning, right? And a big thing for us is keeping our traditional language alive. And that is a place, you know, being able to gather with your elders, with your with your uncles, with your aunts, with, you know, your grandmas, grandpas. That's the place where we teach a lot of these activities and you know, our youth has actually lost out on that within the last two years. And actually, you know, being able to go visit family members, we've actually have, you know, discouraged going to visit your elders because of, you know, um, the vulnerability of that. So it's like my kids have lost that time. You know, other youth have lost that time with their with their uncles, grandpas, aunts, you know, uh, grandmas. That time has been lost and that. So there's a whole two years of, of, of learning that has gone by that, that, that the people haven't been able to pick up. Thank you for sharing all that, Raymond. Um, I think some of the things that really struck me, um, you know, we know, for example, that while COVID is not directly a, you know, a, a result of climate change, we definitely see the effects, the combined effects of COVID and, and health. Um, we know that, for example, Folks who've been exposed to wildfire smoke um, have worse outcomes if they are then exposed to, to COVID. And 
wildfire is a big, big one of the big concerns for the Pueblo um, uh, in terms of you know climate impacts um, with major fires and and you know air quality being a big concern. So definitely, it's while it's not directly you know a, a climate um, issue, it's it definitely is is tied to to impacts that um, and intertwined when it comes to sort of the health of the community. We think about climate. Um, so we've talked about um, sort of the dis some of the disproportionate effects in terms of cultural impacts, and we talked a little bit about COVID. Um, another issue that the Pueblo de San Ildefonso faces in terms of environmental issues is a legacy of contamination associated with the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is just adjacent to, to the Pueblo. And in fact, um, the laboratory facilities, so the land base of that facility is actually completely within the ancestral domain of the Pueblo. So these are the traditional grounds of, of, of the Pueblo um, where we now have um, the Lanol facility and, um, you know, um, environmental practices um, and control measures have improved over the years. But this is a site where um, in the 1940s with the development of the atom bomb, um, there were very few environmental controls and pretty substantial levels of legacy contamination resulting from that time in terms of radionuclides, uh, plutonium, uranium, americium, cesium, and also metals and, and other contaminants. And so we have this sort of double whopper of um, issues of climate change as well as contamination, and then the potential impacts of climate change on exposure to contaminants and then also what happens when you have both health you know health stressors both climate and uh contaminant health stressors uh, on the poor human body at once <laughs> which are these are all issues that the the pueblo is facing in terms of climate and contaminants sure yeah um, yeah that is correct you know all of los Alamos national lab sits within the ancestral domain of uh of the pueblo de Alfonso. And, you know, we are bordered with Forest Service and the national parks um, along, you know, we do have the Los Alamos County and White Rock uh, community also. Um, but yes, that is a big um, issue that we've had to deal with over the past, you know, with the contamination that the work up at the hill has brought. Um, you know, right now we're dealing with chromium uh, plume in our groundwater. Um, you know, and there's interim measures in place for that, and we are tracking that and monitoring that with um, monitoring wells that are located on the lab side and also on the Pueblo side. Again, you know, there's other plumes that are out there that we are monitoring too, you know, vapor plumes, there's some other RDX stuff that's going on. Um, so, and just, you know, all around we do now because of the activities at the lab, we have a whip route that runs through through our Pueblo you know, um, where they're taking waste off the hill and taking it down to the waste isolation pilot plant in Carlsbad, um, you know, to store. So we have that that goes right through the main um, portion of our Pueblo, uh, uh, um, crosses a major waterway, the Rio Grande River, um, you know, but uh, there's always that potential, you know, and I've learned working in the environmental department over the years that, yes, the true packs that they pack them in are probably safe but you know not everyone in our community knows that and there's always the potential for accident because you know over 80 percent of their workforce works off the hill and you never know when an accident may occur or something like that you know on the major highways that we have here 
um, you know, something may occur and we got to be ready to be able to jump into action for that. But also, you know, you're, you're correct that we've had climate, you know, we've been hit with two major wildfires in the area and right after that drought. So um, we didn't have a lot of vegetation being able to come back in and stabilize the soil. And, you know, for the rain that we did get right after the fires, it came in very intense storms, but washed a lot of that um, sediment and contaminant off of the the property of the lab on the Pueblo and past the Pueblo. And we know that by studies that have been conducted is that, you know, we, we they're finding um, uh, radionuclides in the Cochiti Reservoir. So obviously they had to have passed through the canyon systems that come through the lab, through the Pueblo, onto the Rio Grande, and they deposited into uh, Cochiti Reservoir. So, and we still have pockets of that. We can see that, you know, uh, our, our department uh, a few years back conducted a plutonium study in ash. And, you know, we were able to identify the ash layers from the different fires in 2000 and 2003 or five, Los Conchas and Sierra Grande. We were able to identify the ash layers and pick out that and send them off for sampling for plutonium. And we were finding, you know, evidence of plutonium in the, those ash layers. So we know those deposits are within, you know, those canyon systems that run through the Pueblo. Again, you know, with drought and then with the intense, when we do have storms, you know, the intensity that they're coming in, drop a lot of rain real quick. And, um, that uh, turns into flash floods that re redeposit a lot of these sediments throughout the canyon systems and uh, you know moving down the uh, onto our property and um you know that's a major concern that, that we have here at the Pueblo because of our use with what natural resources we do have available to us you know that's been one of the major things that we've been looking at here at the department is um you know tribal risk assessments and um, how that is incorporated into, you know, the climate work that we're doing right now with, uh, with, with, with your team, Kayleen, is that all ties in to a lot of the work that we've been, you know, conducting, looking at, um, you know, uh, sediment movements, um, you know, species diversity now because of climate. Um, so a lot of that ties in. And again, you know, the whole stressors, like you're saying, is that, not only are you stressed because there's COVID issues, there's climate issues, and now you have to worry about, and it's always been there, contamination issues, you know, and that is a lot on the human body, the human mind, because, you know, I think from some of the workshops you conducted, you saw uh, one of the responses from our youth was, we see how uh, irritable our elders get when it's too hot, or how irritable they get when it's too cold. You know, those kind of things. And this is coming from youth and they understand that. Right. And that's it is true. You see, you know, your your temperament will change on the weather. And with those other stressors that are combined, you know, it's like, man, it's hot and I got to wear a mask. You know, with these different situations that you've brought up, you know, the air quality, you can really see that here with all the smoke. We might not have a fire here in New Mexico itself, but. We see the effects from all the surrounding states with that smoke. It really settles within here, and it's it's been bad, you know, um, and that has taken, um, you know, concerns of what do we do for, um, you know, our HVAC systems, filters putting on our HVAC systems, you know, in com combination with the heat, 
um, a lot of our elders, they live in old adobe homes or older homes that the, that the ventilation isn't as great or they don't have uh, cooling uh, units, you know, AC units. So they put in swamp coolers, they put in these kind of things, but are they always changing out their filters? Are they, you know, cleaning them? So those issues come up because then they're bringing in the outside air where the smoke is. Uh, you know, and, and then with the drier temperatures, we get a lot of dust storms. So now you're bringing in dust. You got to make sure that you have those filters in place and they're properly installed because not only do you, you know, there's a whole thing out there floating around that you could be sucking in with the swamp cooler or um, any kind of means that, you know, you're opening your windows because it's hot and you're putting fans there. And that has really got the public thinking is that, you know, do we have to go out and look for funds to be able to outfit our elders with AC units with the proper HVAC uh, fil uh, HEPA filters and UV uh, disinfectant lightings and those kind of things, you know, are those the things that we should be looking at nowadays now to combat not only the smoke, COVID and anything else that might be out there. So, you know, I'm going back and forth between my environmental hat and my Lieutenant hat, but yet those are things that still tie in because from the environmental side, I got to look at that is that, well, yes, this is a concern because you should have these proper HEPA filters on your HVAC systems and things like that. And possibly some disinfectants, you know, the blue lighting and things like that, if you can afford it, those should be put on there. But then again, I jump back to my lieutenant. Well, I need to go look out for that kind of funding to be able to provide this services to my community. Yeah. As you were sort of talking, um, sort of went through the whole progression of you know, years of, of study in terms of understanding these problems and, and issues. And I think we actually, I think it's almost been 10 years now that we've been working with you on um, various, you know, environmental concerns from sort of the contaminant issues to climate, to health, tribal health risk assessment. Um, and, I, you know, we think about sometimes, as you said, it can be overwhelming. There's just so many problems. And we've been, you know, working on characterizing and investigating over the years with you um, and our team here at APPS. So many of these environmental concerns, health concerns, climate. Um, but, you know, at this point, one thing that makes me kind of feel good um, is that we're starting to, as you described, we're we're starting to look at, okay, what can we do about this now, right? And starting to think about adaptation, in particular, you know, climate and sort of intertwined health issues. How can we address um, these problems? You know, we've identified the issues. We, we have, we've worked with the community to identify a community vision, what's important to the community. So now let's prioritize um, what we need to do to sustain and protect that community vision and way of life. Um, and so, I think we're sort of now at that point where we've done so much investigation and planning, and now we're actually starting to, as you said, look for funding to implement, right? To actually implement the solutions. Um, you know, where 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 do we get the funding to actually, you know, install those those filtration systems for in elders' homes? And um, what are the other you know measures that we need to take, and how can we can we make them happen? Um, which is which feels good <laughs> to be doing that as well. Um, but it does also raise, I think, another issue um, that is, you know, that, that challenge, you said, like the funding challenge, the money challenge, right, the financial issue. And I think that's also a, a, a concern that perhaps disproportionately affects Native American communities. Um, you know, we can, 
understand the problems, um, but perhaps, uh, you know, there's always the challenge of the funding. And sometimes that's an even bigger challenge for Native American communities to find the funding um, to actually sort of implement the solutions. It, it can be frustrating when you know, here's the problem and here's something we can do, but, you know, we need we need the funds to be able to actually do it. Sure, yeah, and that's, that's very important as far as, you know, um, you know, capacity building, you know, we, we, we wanna be able to provide that service, you know, to our staff to be able to build their capacity, to be able to deal with these kind of situations. But, you know, we don't always have the funding available through, you know, general funds or grant funds, you know, they're limited in some ways, they're tied to different scopes. Um, the work that we have done, you know, between DCEP and APT is that has got us to thinking that, you know, when we do go for capital outlay projects, when we look at other uh, uh, revenue sources or even projects of building, you know, do we think about now should they be green? Should they make sure and take on, you know, this other renewable energy kind of source aspect of it? Um, you know, we want to build capacity within that way our people or our staff can um, can can take those can take those on and be able to maintain those kind of systems that we have in and also you know provide the studies that that, that we're doing and be able to carry out the work that that, that we're um, conducting and then implementing the changes that that may that will come from it you know one of the big things that we're looking at right now again you know with your help of course is the climate and then the water resources is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? You know, I, I think we covered the gist of what we have going on right now. And, you know, want to thank you and your team for all the work that you've helped us out here with the Pueblo and look forward to, um, you know, our continued work. We have still a lot of work to get done. And the thing is, though, is it's fun. It's fun doing this kind of work. And, you know, you look forward to coming uh, to work to do this because, you know, in a way, I know we're making a difference. Great. Well, we definitely find our work for the Pueblo incredibly rewarding and meaningful. And again, um, just are excited for this new phase that just this past year or so that we've entered into where we're really looking at, you know, okay, let's start doing things. Let's start implementing. Let's start putting adaptation into action. Um, so it, I agree. It's a fun, exciting time to, to be a part of that.